W Marketing, and I'm joined today by Erin Madley from Perth Makers Market and Erin Madley Consulting. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. No problems. We're here today to talk about how to take um, a hobby and know whether it's ready to go into a full-time small business. Um, So let me know, let everyone know, how did you get to this point and and what is Erin Madley all about? Well, uh, so I started getting into the creative sphere when I was pregnant with my kids. I was actually really, really sick and I couldn't be upright for more than about five minutes at a time because I was so unwell I would faint. Um, And so I turned to crafting and then that slowly grew into a business where I was making and selling products at markets. And I found a lot of the way that the markets in Perth will run very, very frustrating. You know, you'd have events that would say that they're for handmade products only and then you would turn up and you would find that there are a lot of imported items or items that have been, you know, designed here and manufactured overseas. And as someone handmaking a product, you just couldn't compete on on that playing field. You also had a lot of markets that you just, you could never get in touch with the organiser. The information wasn't really clear. A lot of people that, you know, you could only get in if it was first come, first serve, or they would have the same people all the time. And so I found that there was a real gap there for a very strictly locally handmade market where you could get in touch with the organisers and ask any questions or get clear information. So uh, from there, I decided to start running my own market. I was really un, not really unhappy, but I was bored in my in my day job at the time. Um, I was looking for something different to do. And so, uh, yeah, Perth Makeup's Market was born and we had our first event in February 2016. We started with just over 70 storeholders and we had about 1,500 visitors to that very first event. And I was just, you know, over the moon. I was blown away by the response that we had, especially because it was, you know, our very first event and a 40 degree day. So it was not a pleasant day, but we still had people coming, which was great. And then by the time that we got to the end of that first year, we'd grown to between 150 and 180 storeholders and we were averaging, you know, 4,000 people per event. And we've now grown to become the biggest handmade artisan market in Perth. We have over 180 storeholders at every event and between four and a half to 5,000 visitors at each event, which has just been really, really exciting. And then through all of that, Erin Maidley Consulting was born because I would get asked a lot of the time um, by other organisations or venues if I could come and run a market for them or help them with their event. Uh, But it didn't really fit the Perth Makers Market brand being that we're so very strictly focused on local handmade only. So now I do consulting for other organisations like the local Apple Cross Rotary. I help them run their Jacaranda Festival every year. I work with Propel Youth Arts to help them. And this year I'm working with the town of East Fremantle on George Street Festival. But then I also am very passionate about helping our storeholder community to know more about business and how to get themselves out there and make sure that they're not just, you know, financing their hobby, but if they want to run a genuine business and replace their income, that uh, we can share skills. So we now do workshops where I work with other um with other businesses to to do education. Um, I do one-to-one consults where I sit down with people and help them devise strategies for their business. And uh, that's that's what I'm really passionate about as well. Oh, it's amazing because uh, I just know personally how much goes into 
organizing and running a market. Um, I've done them in the past for shopping centers that I've worked for uh, doing the marketing and we've run markets, uh, twilight markets, things things like that. Yeah. Exactly um, how hard it is. And also that balance between what is a maker's market and what is a market in regards to just stalls for things that are actually products purchased in or products that are made overseas. I understand that um, that is a really hard line to go. And it's great you've been able to to make that easier for those that do make their own products know that when they come to your markets they know exactly what they're getting and they know that you've been there and done that and I think that that's what makes it so important when you find somebody that understands what it is you're doing as a hobby but also can understand where it can go from there and how to grow it and the first thing we were going to talk about is how do you know when it's time or when you're ready to take your hobby to move it and scale it up into a small business um what what would be your recommendations based on your experience well I think there's a couple of different ways that people go about it so we see you know a lot of people who kind of start their business um, when they're kind of going through a life change. We get a lot of people who, um, when they take that step into parenthood, they decide that, you know, they don't necessarily want to go back to what they were doing before, or they discover a passion that they didn't know that they had. And just, and um, a lot of people we see, they start selling because somebody in their life says, you make a great thing, you should sell this. And that's can be a really great stepping stone into testing the market and seeing if your product is viable and if, if it is something that will sell. Um, but what we see a lot of people making the mistake of is not looking at it as a business. So when I, when I suggest people decide, you know, I'm not going to just treat this as a hobby anymore. I want this to be a business is when you're ready to take that step away from whatever your paid employment is, or if you are ready for this to become your Form of paid employment and that point in time is different for everybody and um, there's no hard and fast rule saying that you have to have that thought in mind when you start selling but at some point in time you have to decide you know is the time and effort you're putting into what you're doing worth what you're getting out of it and if all you're looking to get out of it is you know getting out there and connecting with community and having people enjoy what you do then that's great treat it as a hobby keep it that way but if what you're wanting to get out of it is you know some income to support yourself and your family even and, and it doesn't matter how much that income is you're the one who has to decide that but if you're ready for it to be a job that's that's when you need to start looking at it as a business rather than a hobby yeah that's exactly right because people forget that just because somebody says to you what you're doing um, is awesome which it 100% would be doesn't mean you know how to run a business. And this is where, um, from my experience working with small businesses on their marketing in particular, a lot of them have done exactly that. They've gone into business because either they've become very busy and they've thought, well, I better make something out of this or somebody has told them that they should do it. And having those foundations in place is the first step that people need to do when looking to scale into um, a hobby to a business. And having those from the beginning and having somebody like you that has been there and done that and going through your consulting side of the business will allow them to know that they're in good stead for for scaling it, that they're, they're doing all the right steps. Because people that just 
I haven't got time, I haven't got money, I've got to do it all myself, I can do it, I can do it, which is great. But then if you miss some of those steps, I mean, you're really, really shooting yourself in the foot, aren't you, for, for later on? It will come Absolutely. back. Absolutely. And you find out that, you know, somewhere down the line you end up behind the eight ball or there's things that you haven't considered or thought of. And I can say that I've done it both ways. So, like, when I was making and selling things, that's how I got into doing it is I was crafting to occupy myself because, you know, I had to adopt a sedentary life style when I was pregnant I I had to hire a cleaner my mom had to come over and help me with cooking I literally couldn't do anything besides sit down and there's so much only so much tv you can watch and book reading you can do before you're just like going insane and so I was making things and taking photos and people were like oh do you sell them can I buy one from you and that's how my very very first business started so I started making and selling and going through that process of, oh, I'm just going to go and sell on markets and I'm going to set up a shop on Etsy and I'll I'll decide maybe I'll write a blog. That one for me, I only ever really treated it as a hobby and just seeing all that experience that I got there versus when I started the market and the process that I went through when I went, no, I want this to be a business. I want this to be my form of employment. I want this, you know, to generate enough income to replace my at the time, three day a week government job. Um, and so, you know, the the mentality there, the difference between the two, it's, it's massive. And so I think that's the biggest thing that people need to look at is, okay, what do you want to get out of this? What is it that you're trying to achieve? If it is just getting out there and connecting with community, great. Just keep it as a hobby. Only look to cover your costs of whatever it is that you're making. Don't worry about necessarily, you know, covering an income for your time but if it is something that you're wanting it to be a source of employment you want it to be that it generates a certain amount of income for you to free you up to do you know what you're passionate about then you definitely need to go and shift that mindset from hobby to business yeah 100% and and what would you recommend from your experience working with um, hobbyists that have transferred over what is the best thing and the systems or or processes that they need to have in place um, when they're making the transition what would you recommend people look at um, when they're starting to think about going into this as replacing employment The first thing that I think that a lot of people forget or don't consider is actually sitting down and writing a business plan. So there are a lot of really great free resources around in terms of finding templates. Small Business Development Corporation have one that's online, including a guide on how to use it. But the best thing that I can recommend people do is actually think about as a business writing a business plan. So you want to look at, you know, what are your goals and achievements? that you're you're hoping to hit is it that you have a certain amount of income that you're wanting to earn is it that you're wanting to have a certain kind of lifestyle and how are you going to go about achieving those things and part of that also needs to factor in things like your marketing plan how are you going to get your name out there um yes social media is a great resource but it is not the only thing that you need to be looking at Um, and also branding so a lot of people, when they're thinking about a brand, they think of, oh, I'm going to have a pretty logo and some colors, but that's not all a brand is. And so I hugely recommend people take the time to look at branding as a whole. What is your brand? And the one thing that a lot of people that I work with don't realize is a brand is really about how your business makes someone else feel. And so trying to get that into your head is okay. So yeah, maybe you just make pretty earrings, but 
it's not just that you make pretty earrings. You're, you're, uh, you know, bringing someone uh, this experience of your product. And it's not just the, the fact that they get to wear these beautiful accessories. It's also um, that warm, fuzzy feeling that they get inside when they interact with your business. It's also about um, those interactions that they have with other people when they're wearing your product. It's about what's your customer service like? What's your um, tone of voice like? All of those sorts of things tie into your brand. And then that informs things like how you get yourself out there with your marketing strategy, which I'm as a marketing specialist, that's something that you would be so familiar with and a lot of people just they don't even think about no no they don't and I mean I know that when we do um our sessions uh uh, I started I start up sessions are more about our brain dump sessions in getting you know your vision mission core values making sure you understand why you're doing what you do and then we talk about getting it out there in relation to talking to emotions because people buy on emotions and they back it up with logic later I can't tell people that enough so you're exactly right you're talking to the emotion it's the feeling that what you do or what you sell is giving people and when you're marketing that you're talking to that emotion so your copy your content your your brand needs to talk to that emotion and you need to also find yourself aligned um, customers people that are on that journey with you they align with where you see and what impact your product or service has And the more you find aligned clients, the more you're going to find top clients and top clients refer you. They become raving fans and they're your best asset. So you're so right in regards to social media not being the only way. If you can get your brand aligned with the right clients, you can get raving fans and they don't cost you money to actually get to. Remember, the more you build up those raving fans that refer you, the more it's going to save you in those marketing dollars because you're going to be already talking to people that are converted. And and that's what it's all about, building up that brand and bringing in those aligned people and then having them them be your your voice. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things where um, a lot of the time when I'm giving a workshop and we're talking about this branding and and putting yourself out there and um, we, we talk about who is your target market and inevitably, the answer we get is, oh, I want to sell to everyone. I'm like, yes, yes, you want to sell to everyone. That's a lovely idea. You're not going to be for everyone and that's okay. And I think getting that into a lot of um, hobbyists' mindsets is is something that, you know, definitely shifting from being a hobbyist to a business, it's, it's definitely a big change in thinking for a lot of people because you just think oh you know a lot of the time when you're talking about your product or you're talking about what it is that you make you're bouncing ideas off of people who already know you and already know what it is that you do and they already love you and want to support you Um, but that doesn't mean that everybody you encounter is going to love what you do and I know that you know especially with what I do I'm not and I'm not for everyone you know I'm this colorful individual who I'm generally a little bit in your face with my appearance that in and that's fine you know and that's that's okay I'm not going to be someone who is going to work with corporate 
entities and that's okay as well and so I think for a lot of people when you're taking the time to go okay I'm going to shift into a business I'm going to look at my business plan make sure you're taking the time to go okay who is your target audience who is it that you're wanting to sell to who is it that you're wanting to work with and then finding a way to get yourself in that direction and that's where I say the biggest thing that anyone can do to to shift from being a hobby to a business is sitting down and looking at a business plan but also not just sitting down and writing it for the sake of writing it, genuinely taking the time to think about it. And then once you've got that template that you've filled in, taking it to other people who can read through it um, and be a sounding board for you, you know, not just uh, friends and family and people who already support you, but also other people in business. And they're going to help you with um, knowing if you've considered everything, have you thought about, you know, this, that and the other that maybe you haven't considered and then regularly checking in with your business plan. The number of times that I see people just kind of, it's a set and forget sort of a thing. You've written it, you go, okay, great. I have this idea. And then you put it aside, you know, it, filling it in and putting it aside, it becomes a waste of time. You need to have it there as a checkpoint for yourself because a lot of the time you're going to find that you'll have opportunities that come up and you go, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to try that thing. But if your goal is here and this opportunity that comes up is over here and it takes you in a different direction, you need to make sure that you're checking in with yourself and going, okay, is this goal that I initially had no longer relevant? And is this where I want to be? Or should I not say yes to everything that comes up because this is where I want to go to? Oh, that's, oh, you're preaching to the converted here. I love that. I love that because we definitely are on the same page. I talk to a lot of my clients. I work with a lot of tradies and um, trying to get um, them into that mindset of, of, of trying not to be everything to everyone because you do end up being just having so little uh, niche. And, and finding where it is and what your top clients are and then really showing up where they are and really providing a solution to their services, um, to their problems, sorry, because the more you can provide a solution to a problem for your target market, the more you become an authority in that market and the more people will come to you. And the more of those top clients you get, you you know, you start to build up that authority. And that comes with... Um, any business type. You just need to find where it is that you sit in the market, where the gaps are, where you can really um, show and shine and, and really start to own that. And we look, we talk about a vision and getting to that vision is where your mission comes in, setting those actionable goals and KPIs and looking at them every 90 days at least and yeah. seeing, are you on track? Are you not on track? Where do you change? And making sure you're not getting distracted by what we call um, putting, you know, putting out fires or or shiny new things. Wow, that looks exciting. I'll do that. Well, what well, is it getting you closer to your yes. vision that you set? And, is it? and yeah, and with the creative community, that's such a common thing that we have happen that you know, you go, oh, I love this thing that I make or, oh, I want to try working with this new medium, um, you know, and I'm, I'm definitely someone who does this. I have to catch myself all the time. And, you know, you, just because it's something that you love and something that you enjoy doing or it's a new idea doesn't mean that it's something that's necessarily going to fit in with your business and it's not necessarily going to be aligned with that vision and mission that you have and that, that point where you want to be. And so one of the things that is a really big learning curve for everybody in the creative industry, particularly when you're selling a product. And a lot of the people that I work with, it's, you know, the getting that mentality around, um, 
you're you're not selling something that necessarily immediately solves a problem. It's a lot of um, you know you're you're selling beautiful things for people that solve something that's maybe not an intangible problem. It's a you know you're wanting to have a unique gift for someone. You're, you're wanting to show someone how much you care about them and how much you're thinking about them and it's those sorts of things and just because you have a product that you make and love doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to sell well it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to suit your target demographic for your brand it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that you should invest your time and effort in and I think that that shift in mind that that mindset um, of it being just because it's something that you love everyone's going to love it that's where you have that's that's the biggest difference I think between a hobbyist and a business is that you need to think about okay yeah I love this thing and I love creating this thing but if it's going to be that I spend three hours making it and I can only sell it for twenty dollars whereas I can spend 15 minutes making this other thing and sell it for 15 well then okay if you're going to be a business that's where you invest your time. Yeah, it's all about in the end, I know we hate to say it as sometimes as creatives, um, it's about the profit. It's are yeah. you creating a profitable business? Because ultimately we should be creating a business that in the end we can step away from. And to do that, it needs to be able to show profit. It needs to be able to show it's sustainable. So that's where all of this mindset shift comes in 100%. And it doesn't have to be hard. It just has to be more setting goals and making sure you're on your way to where you want to be and, and just not living in the now as much. More, more you know, planning, you know, one, one year ahead to, you know, up to 10 years as, a, as having a, a big, hairy, audacious goal, I like to call it. Yeah. Setting smaller ones to make sure you're on your way. I think that is 100%. Now, if yeah. we're talking about products, which we just were, um, I know we talked previously um, before we got in here about how you price products. Now, that's something that you get asked a lot. So what would you be talking to with people starting this out in the business sense on how they would start pricing their products? So pricing products is something that particularly in the in the field of handmade is extraordinarily difficult, especially if you're wanting to be competitive in the market. Um, so you'll, if you Google how to price my products, there's a lot of things that come up that are very formulaic and don't work for handmade products. So that kind of comes into things like, okay, so what's the cost of your materials? Figure out how much you want to pay yourself per hour. How long does it take you to make? And that's your cost price, not factoring in your overheads. So you do also have to take into account your overheads, which I think a lot of people when they're in a handmade business or a hobbyist switching from being a hobby to a business, they don't consider, but it is something that you definitely need to factor in. So those, those sorts of things, that's your, that your cost price for the product. And then this formula will say times it by two and that's your wholesale price times it by two again. And then that's your retail price. But the problem ends up being if you go, okay, well, I'm going to charge my time out at $20 per hour. This product takes me two hours to make. It's $40 before I've even factored in cost of materials or overheads. And then you add that in and you times it by two to get your wholesale price. Your minimum is there for $80 and then, you know, $160 just for your time. So one of the things that you have to look at when you're pricing your products as handmade is not just those sorts of things, but also what's already out there in the market. And then where does your product sit in terms of quality against the quality of others that are in the market? So I, I always say, do that formula as a base to give you a guide and at least let you know roughly where things might be. 
And then definitely you want to go and do your research. So resources that are really good for researching, you know, what other people in your field are doing is definitely go and look at Etsy. So Etsy is a global global platform. It used to be the, the be all and end all for handmade um, products and design products. It still is the biggest one out there, but there's a lot more on there now than just strictly handmade um, there's a website in Australia called made it um, that one's worth looking at as well but also find out who your competitors in your area are and take a look at their social media and their websites and then what you can do is if you're not sure if you're at the high end or the low end of that market is find a happy medium price but then you have to take that price against all of those other factors that we've talked about cost of materials your time and your overheads and go are you at least you know covering your costs and some extra profit for you because that profit bit is all of a sudden what turns you from being in a job that just covers your time to a business. Mm. And so that's kind of the starting point. And a lot of the time you can spend, you can spend hours and days and weeks researching this. And sometimes you just have to go, okay, what do I want to earn? And then how do I earn that against the products that I'm selling? And so those that's another way of looking at how to price your products as well is, okay, well, if this is what I want to earn, what are my best sellers? What can I sell them for that people are willing to pay for? And then also do market research against people who already know your brand and your business, especially if you're already a hobbyist selling in the community. If you're already selling, what you can do is research with your audience. and you can talk to people who are past customers. You can talk to, um, you know, fellow people in your community. Facebook groups is a really great place for the creative community. There are a lot of storeholder groups around um, for people who participate in markets. There are a lot of artist and maker groups around on Facebook and they can be a really great place to do those sorts of research as well. Mm, that's exactly right because it is taking into account the business side isn't it like you say you've got to make sure that there is that profit in there to make sure that your business is viable and finding those parts in your um, product suite that can allow you to do that or whether you're looking at bundling um, various products up and selling them you know different ways of marketing your products as well to enable you to have um, a greater profit margin in there and and looking at what other people are doing and a lot of people are now going into that thing of like, well, this is exactly like you said, what I want to earn. So this is how I'm going to make that work. And um, we need to get out of that trading time for money um, thing that we get stuck into as employees. You're trading your time for your money and look at, okay, what am I putting out there? What am I giving? And and, and what do I want to um, price that at? But you still have to look at the market. I mean, that's where when you're product-based, it has to be more based on that, doesn't it? As opposed to services where yes. you can be a little wider in your in your why. But you need to find out where you sit on that product scale. Like you said, are you going high quality? Are you going the um, mainstream or are you going cheap and quick because that's what people want? Where do you sit? And that comes back to your branding, doesn't it? And your your actual overall branding of your business. Are you high-end, high-quality? People expect to pay more because that's how you are branded. And, um, And it doesn't mean that your product costs more. It can just mean that the way that you present yourself and people want to be aligned with that. So, again, it comes down to who are you talking to, who's aligned with you, and what's your messaging in your branding. So that's why it's so important to get that set before you start launching and you start going out into the market because you need to know where you sit. Where do you sit? Are you quality, mainstream, or are you uh, 
what is it cheap and cheerful where are you and um, yes exactly um, and and some of the other things that I think don't get thought about when you're pricing your products as well is are you eventually going to grow to a point where you need to start charging GST Mm. And so, you know, you have to be earning over $75,000 a year before you start charging GST. But if you haven't factored that into your pricing at the beginning and all of a sudden you get to a point where you're having to pay GST, you either then need to look at repricing your products and adding it on, which can disrupt and um, disappoint an existing customer base, or you're eating into your profit margin. So one of the things that I hugely recommend people do is start higher with your pricing. It is so much easier to start higher and reduce your pricing than it is to go the other way and I remember talking to a stallholder um, who I've known for a number of years now she started out with us when we started the market back in 2016 she doesn't put prices on her products and she will sell products at different prices depending on where she is Um, and even throughout the day and she'll say some days she'll sell one product at $20 and it'll go gangbusters other days you know, she'll sell that same product at $20. Nobody wants to buy it. Put the price up to 40 and everyone's buying it. And it really can be a very variable thing. And so one of the things that we do get asked about people, um, attend, some people attending markets is, you know, should I put my price tags on things? I'm someone who personally likes to see a price tag on something. I automatically assume if there's no price tag on it, it is too expensive for me. And sometimes it can be hard to interrupt a conversation to ask how much something costs. But if you go the other way of not having a price tag on things, it does give you that opportunity to have that negotiation with the customers that are coming and talking to you about your product. And you have then the opportunity to do a little bit of research on the spot. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And that comes down to your personality too, doesn't it? If you Very much are so. confident enough to have that. And you can see that in markets I've been to and I've run myself where you can see the storeholders that have that about their product and can do that or the others that are just testing and just want to put prices out and see what sells and what doesn't. And it's the same with services and on the websites. You know, some have them, some thoroughly believe in having transparent pricing. I'm one of those and others will not because, yes, it comes down to the negotiation at the end. Absolutely allows you to show your value before you actually um, talk about a price. And that's where if you're a storeholder that um, is able to do that, people will see the value in what it is you're selling and be willing to pay more than just grabbing something that has a price on it. So where you sit in there will be all dependent on how you actually are in that process of selling and also what you believe in. If you're testing a new product, you might not have that as much. If it's something that you, you thoroughly have seen sell and you believe, you'll be more than willing to um, have that um, negotiation, wouldn't you, with with people that might be new to you? Yes, exactly. And um, one of the other things that we always talk about, particularly if you're going to be going out to markets and selling, is know ahead of time whether or not you're willing to provide a discount or you're willing to package things up and bundle them together. And it's it's an unfortunate thing that makes me so angry, but... um, you'll find that everyone at a market, they just are going to assume that they can negotiate down on price. I always kind of give an example of, if you walked into a bricks and mortar retail store and something is priced the way it is, do you negotiate on price or do you just say, oh, well, that's the price of the product and I'm going to pay for that? Why all of a sudden when you're at a market and you're buying from a business, do you think it's okay to ask, if I buy two of these, can I get this for free or are you willing to give me a discount? And a lot of the times, particularly when people are really just starting out or they're in that process of they're just a hobbyist or if they're in that, you know, 
transition period of going from a hobbyist to a business, if you haven't thought about it ahead of time, you feel really put on the spot, like you have to provide a discount. Mm -hmm. And so I always say to everyone, make sure that you look at this ahead of time. Are you willing to provide a discount? Um, And if the answer is no, that you're really confident about, oh, no, that's just the price. Yes, you may have people who decide it's too expensive and walk away. But more often than not, you'll find that the person who's asked goes, no worries, and then they pay the full price anyway. Uh, So definitely factor that into your decision-making process before you go and sell in person at events. Yeah, that's it. Because discounting is just a race to the bottom, isn't it? Ultimately, if you get get from the beginning into the mindset that discounting is the only way to get a sale, you are really just racing to the bottom in the pricing. And yeah, you're never going to get that part of your business that's making profit. So if you start from the beginning with the mindset of this is the pricing, and I'm confident in that because I know what's gone into it, that will come across. People will see that. But the more fear you have in trying to sell, the more they, they see that fear and they can think well obviously it's it's not worth that you know and so yeah it's about the confidence I think in trying to to have that conversation with people that are coming to you wanting to buy stuff they want to buy so it's about how confident do they feel in you being able to provide what it is that they're after um and that will come across so that'll come with time I imagine too um but very much so not get into that um constant discounting that's all because that will always eat into your margin and you'll, you'll you'll never end up um, becoming profitable. Yeah, just yeah. Not- and that's not to say that you can't decide to do things no. like have a sale or a special, but if you are the one making that decision, it's very different than being put on the spot and feeling like you're pressured into essentially giving things away for free. Yeah, or thinking that's the only way you can sell yes. because that would obviously hurt your mindset as well. Um, Now, finally, we've talked about the best places to sell, Etsy, and we've talked about other other angles for um, hobbyists to get onto and also for small business when you transition. Is that the main ones that you think of when it comes to selling or um, what else would you recommend for people looking to sell their products? So I think Etsy is a really great one um, to get on board with. They have had increases in fees over the years. So you will find that you have a higher margin of your profit that you're giving away by being on a platform like Etsy versus having a standalone website. So, you know, a lot of people go, oh, well, do I need a website? And my answer is no, you don't need one, but it is a handy thing to have, particularly if you're going to end up having repeat customers because you might find that people initially find you on Etsy, but then when they come to purchase from you again in the future, they'll go to your standalone website and all of a sudden your profits are higher. So I definitely think having a website is great. Um, And you can do that in a lot of different ways. You don't have to have one that you're spending oodles and scads of money. It's really easy to build one yourself using something like Shopify or Squarespace or Wix Um, and there are a lot of really great ways to then market yourself directing people to your traffic uh, traffic to your website I do kind of use the example of you know having a shop like Etsy is like having a storefront in a big shopping center whereas having a standalone website is like having a shop that's just on a street front so it's more important that you direct the traffic to your own standalone website than it is that you direct traffic to Etsy because you, your customers on Etsy are already there. But you still do have to spend a lot of time and effort on the SEO side of things on Etsy, which I think is something that a lot of people don't realize is it's not a set and forget thing. It's not just a thing where you list a product and people are automatically going to find you. You probably have to spend equal amounts of time working on your SEO on Etsy as you do on a standalone website. So I was, I would always say, if you're going to choose one or the other, 
choose Etsy as your starting point. If you're growing and you're wanting to attract a lot of those repeat customers, definitely want to have a standalone website. And the way that I find a lot of people work the best and have the most success is actually by having both. But also having a standalone website, you can do things like have your products tagged and listed on social media. So if you're posting about a product on Instagram, you can tag it. Someone can click on the photo and go immediately to that product and purchase it on your website. You can do that with Etsy too, don't get me wrong. But if you have an option of directing traffic to one place or another, you're definitely going to have increased profit margins on a standalone website. It also lends an air of um, more professionalism and credibility to your business by having a standalone website. It helps to establish you as someone who it's maybe not just a hobbyist, but you are serious about your business. It gives people the opportunity to learn more about you. Um, and you can also do things like have a blog that you can then put onto Pinterest and grab more traffic that way. So I, I say the other things to people that you really definitely want to be looking at in terms of selling is research into collective stores. There's a lot of them that are around now. Um, they're structured in a couple of different ways. So some of them you pay for shelf space and then they don't take any commission. Some you pay for shelf space and commission and some are commission only. Um, reach out to them, but don't just reach out once, reach out regularly because they're often turning over products in those collectives. Some people, you know, will, will leave the collective and then they need to fill those vacancies. So don't just ask once and then feel like that's the, the only time that you're going to have your opportunity. Check in with them regularly and find out if they're looking for new stockists. Yeah. Um, not only those collectives, but you can also find things like independent hairdressers now. They like to sell things like jewellery and scrunchies and soaps and things. Um, my tattoo artist that I go to, she works with a local soap person um, for like aftercare, skincare products. Think of those small micro businesses or small businesses that are around in your local area and they can be great opportunities for connection as well um, because a lot of small business owners like your hairdresser, your tattoo artist, your nail person, they're wanting to help support other small businesses as well. So that can be a really great connection point too. Um, and then Facebook groups is a really great place to join um, and networking groups. I, I don't think a lot of um, creative businesses think about joining a networking group because you think networking group and you think accountants and lawyers. That's not all networking groups are about. They're, you know, those accountants and lawyers like to buy products to give their clients. Um, so being involved in those networking groups, I think, is a real missed opportunity for a lot of those creative product-based businesses. And it's well worth looking into joining them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I find you're right. I mean, people say, like myself within, say, a marketing agency with clients, we're always looking welcome gifts or gifts for um, certain milestones, etc. And to know that you have a go-to in the creative industry is just a no-brainer because that's where you get the personalised service and you know that that's where we've always got our gifts for clients um, from, from that, whether it's a smash cake or whether it's a candle or cookies or all those sorts of things. These days, as an agency, it's so easy to, to be able to find someone in your network, be it like, you know, Fusion Business Group or any of the other groups where there are more and more creatives coming in. So highly recommend that as well. And those networking events, you create those relationships. 
And that's what I'm talking about with raving fans. So if I'm happy, I'm telling everyone else I know where to go and get their stuff from. So there you haven't spent any marketing dollars and I'm sending people your way because of the personalized service I've had. So people need to get aligned people because we're raving fans. And that is if I could leave anyone with anything, it's definitely about trying to find the right people because we do refer on. And I think that's where you can grow and grow and grow without having to spend the massive marketing dollars that you might think you do just by the time of investing in a relationship with a top client. I think that that's really important. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings to tell people is people buy from people. You know, it's it's about that experience that you're able to give and that relationship that you can form with a business owner and you know that customer service side of things is such a massive part of um you know particularly you know product-based businesses as you know you think okay my earrings that I make are really unique yes they might be unique but they're they're not the only earrings that are out there anyone can go you know into half a dozen shops and find a pair of earrings so part of what makes your business unique is that experience that you're providing to other people. I did also forget to mention about markets. Um, So one of the things that we see a lot of when people are starting to sell is they feel the need to go to every single market that they can get into. And I want to just warn people against that. The number of times that you'll get to, you know, six months, 12 months after you've been doing that process and you're so burnt out and you're all of a sudden hating what it is that you do that's just something that you don't want to do. So do your research before you look at booking into a market, attend the market as a visitor, look at the people that are around. Are they your client? If the answer is no, being a storeholder there is probably not worth your time. That being said, from one market to the next, you can find that there is a massive difference. And, you know, we'll have storeholders who one market, they have their best sales day on record in 10 years. The next market, they might not sell very much. And so there can be quite a wide amount of variety. So I always say, give any market that you're trying a minimum of three tries before you decide whether or not it's for you as a storeholder. But just because you can get into a market doesn't mean that it's going to be a good fit for you. And um, just because a market is, you know, run by um, a big organization like mine versus a small volunteer group that doesn't mean that the big organization is going to be the right fit for you maybe the small volunteer run one is so definitely do your research yes speak to other storeholders that are in the community that's once again where those Facebook groups can be hugely invaluable but you do want to make sure you're doing your research before you book into a market because not all markets are created equal and um, you're not going to find your customer at every market that you attend. No, that's exactly right. And I know we ran our markets for three years and the first um, intake was massive and we had lots of people and then bit by bit it slowly people saw the same people and it it, it can work or it can't work and it just, as you say, it depends on um, people's perceptions and, and listening to people that, that have done them before. And also from a shopping centre point of view also, I know a lot of shopping centres are starting to provide um, little carts and little things for um, creatives to have a couple of hours or three or four hours at shopping centres now as well. So there's other ways to try and get if you think a, a type of demographic is around where you are. But I think it's definitely great to get into your local market scene, um, the yeah. scene, and just start to experience what it's like. From from what I've spoken to in the market, uh, storeholders I've had in mind, that's what I get the sense that they all um, tend to do. 
yes into the scene and learn and that's the best thing yeah all right. Well, it's been awesome because I've learned I've learned heaps because not being in a creative space, but having lots of uh, networking friends that are. It's just great to hear more insight into how it all really can work from transitioning over, and from dealing with small businesses. I, I can really see the benefits of, of how dealing with you on a consulting basis can help them build and and bridge that transition. So let people um, know, where can people find out more about you, the consulting or the markets? Um, Where's the best place to um, find out more about you? Well, social media and my website. So if you're interested in being a stockholder with Perth Makers Market, our website is perthmakersmarket.com and you can find all the information you need there. We only run a select number of dates per year. um, So you do need to kind of be aware of that ahead of time. But we always have wait lists if you've missed a cutoff date to apply for anything. And then if you're interested in talking to me about consulting, product photography, any of the workshops that we have coming up, you can find all that on my social media, Erin Mabley Consulting or on my website, which is erinmadley.com. Awesome. Well, I'm sure that most people will head there because I think having that um, information readily available um, is is just a lifesaver for creatives, whether they're new to it or, like you said, wanting to make that transition, to have someone in their corner and support them is just invaluable. Um, Well, it's been awesome to have you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank um, you so much for having me. I've loved chatting and and talking about this stuff. Small business, marketing, bridging gaps, anything. I could talk all day and I know we probably would. Um, (laughs) We'll leave it there and I'll send everyone over and put the links in the bio. This, um, of course, will be on YouTube and on Spotify. So if you're listening on Spotify, um, you can um, follow those links. If not on YouTube, you'll see them in the description below. So.